This is The Rest is Education. I'm David Marshall, and I'm here for a special interview edition with Shane Leaning. Shane is Head of Teaching and Teaching Development at Nord Anglia, China, and he's going to talk to us about CPD and the work he's doing with various different schools in China. So Shane, welcome to The Rest is Education. Uh, it's really brilliant to have you here. Do you want to start off by sort of giving a better introduction to yourself than that and telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, thanks for having me, um, David. Yeah, so as you said, I'm head of teaching development uh, for China. So um, Nord Anglia Education is a group of schools. We've got over 80 schools in the world, actually, um, 20 of which are in China. And I work with um, the schools in China that are called our China bilingual schools. So they're schools that cater to local Chinese Chinese students, our uh, region of China schools. Is it 10 schools you're looking after? Yes. Yeah. 11, in fact. 11 schools. And and they're not, I mean, they're not clustered around Shanghai. Are they, would you say they're all over different regions? Uh, what's your sort of, what's your sort of scope of this, this, this area? Absolutely. We've got a spread of schools across China. We've got a cluster in the east near Shanghai. We've got a, a few in the north from Beijing up to Dalian. And then we've got a nice uh, cluster of schools down south. Um, I'm actually Nord Anglia have, you know, two types of schools in China. I mainly work mm. with the bilingual schools, which are for, um, local, local, uh, students, but we also operate full international schools, which mm. are only open to, um, children with international passports. Um, so we've got the two, um, the two areas. And of course, private education in China is absolutely huge. Um, it's just a huge industry out here. Private education is, is you know, by far a dominant um, uh, sector. Um, and um, in our bilingual schools, we have to use the Chinese national curriculum as a core, but mm. they um, they progress towards internationally recognized qualifications. So some of our schools do A-level, for example, some that international baccalaureate diploma or even AP at the end. And I'm intrigued. I know we're here to talk about CPD, but I just can't help but, but ask because it's so interesting. So the you said that you do the Chinese national curriculum, but you're working towards IB or A-level qualifications. Where does the, how does that fit? Because the if I'm right in thinking, I'm maybe not pronouncing it correctly, but China does the Gaokao, um, which is the, uh, for those who don't know, it's the big exam that is taken at the end of school. Uh, it, it's famously quite challenging and it's been around for many, many years. I have heard someone quote me over a thousand years, but I, I don't know if that's correct. Uh, is that, am I making that up? Uh, uh, you may well be, David. I have no idea. It sounds about right. I mean, China's got a rich history. How do you then set yourself up for A-levels and IB? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's worth breaking down that in, in, in China, the compulsory curriculum goes from um, grade one to grade nine. So, so technically to, to in school, you're, you're going from what's that in British terms, year two to year 10. Mm. Um, and that's, that's compulsory schooling. And that's where most of the strict regulations come in. And actually that, um, finishes with a qualification called the Zhongkao, which is before the Gaokao. It's a few, three years before the Gaokao exam. Mm. Um, the, um, the Gaokao exam is the only um, exam you can take to get into a Chinese university if you're a local 
um, a, lo a local Chinese student. Of course, foreign nationals can get into Chinese universities using their qualifications. Mm. But if you're mm. Chinese, you can't. You have to take the Gaokao. However, if you want to study abroad, um, then many families want to want that international qualification. So what what we do in in our schools is we teach the Chinese national curriculum. We teach that content. You you have to. That's the law. Um, um, but we teach it through international uh, with international methods. So there's generally a lot of project based learning embedded from the start, which is usually missing. There's a lot of collaborative collaborative um, learning. Um, we have a real value based system um, right. um, when, when we're teaching. So we're teaching the content of the Chinese national curriculum use, using methods that are more common in, in um, a Western international education, if you like. Um, mm. which means when they get to grade nine and they, they, they leave that compulsory um, um, curriculum, they can then, um, you know, generally go into, into the programs like the IB, A-level with relative ease. And some, you know, our students, you know, achieve outstanding results in these, in these mm. programs, um, which, and you know, is real, really testament to show that, you know, the curriculum itself as a, as the core is not everything um, no no and they going. and they can then they so they can go on to international universities uh do, do you get students going overseas to study absolutely a lot in the states or australia or other parts of yes. the uk yes all of our students go and uh, study overseas in fact you know um it's quite a big decision for the families actually because they don't actually um, get the choice to stay in china because, because they leave with an international qualification so they can't yeah. go to a chinese university mm. um, they can't even in their first year go to a an international university that's based in china such as new york university in shanghai they have to at least go and do a year in new york and then come back to shanghai there's quite strict rules obviously to protect the Gaokao system in China mm. um, so they really you know all of our students yeah and, and majority kind of go between US UK um, uh, Hong Kong even Singapore mm. so that's so there's just a, a decision that a parent makes at a quite a young age to put their child into this bilingual system which again is not the international system it, it's it's still the Chinese curriculum but then knowing that their child is not going to carry on study uh, in in China, that that must be quite a like you said, that must be a really big decision to take at a young age. A huge a huge decision to take at a young age. Although you know it's not uncommon for many of the parents of children in our school to already have universities in mind in the early primary school for their children. You know, there's you know it's a a big. Um, um, competitive area is education in China um, mm. with many parents trying to get the edge for the, for their children. Um, so international education for many offers them that opportunity. Um, so yes, they start, they start early. I mean, yeah. the last few years have really rocked that a little bit, you know, some of our parents have felt, you know, Oh, is this, is this the right thing? You know, COVID has made um, a big, a big challenge to that. Can, should my child study abroad? Can, you know, is, is, was it safe? That was the original thought, but also, you know, tensions between, um, between, uh, the U S and China, for example, being something that parents are considering as to whether they want 
their child going there. These are these are real things for parents, which have really knocked them in their confidence. Yeah, yeah. I, can, I can imagine. And there's so much geopolitical stuff going around the world that that feels quite far off. But if you're in that situation, then, you know, you're you're definitely aware of it, how it could affect you personally in the way that it maybe doesn't affect other people or people in the UK so so much I just I want to clarify something which is just while you're speaking I googled a gal cow and it turns out uh, there doesn't seem to be anything about it that being a thousand years old it's actually founded in 1952 so I don't know where <laughs> I got that information from but it does make me want to go back and find out a bit more about it uh, myself because I do think it's a fascinating um, qualification but it's not the one you do and and it, you've given us a sense of your setting in terms of what you're managing, in terms of the scope of what you're managing. And I think perhaps listeners who are listening from all sorts of places overseas will probably be quite unfamiliar with um, the setup you're describing, unless they've worked in a bilingual school in China or elsewhere. Um, but this leads us on to talk about CPD, because the reason that you and I met, we, we've never met in person, unfortunately, I'd love to you know meet up at some point when you're when we're you're back over here but we we met online doing a a teacher development trust uh course which uh was in cpd leadership i think 2021 and i was just fascinated shane by the stuff that you're doing i think it's partly because of your setting but also because of the scope of your understanding of cpd and the scope of what you seem to be managing we could start off with telling us about, um, well, tell us a little bit about the program and model of CPD there that and, and how it's developed. I think you mentioned it's called Becoming Bilingual. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so my role is, is leading professional development across um, the 11 schools I work with. Um, and we've got a, a variety of programs that we run now what you know back if i was to rewind back a couple of years ago we had a priority for our schools you know one of those biggest priorities was developing language developing english language of, of, of the students we teach uh, this was linked to a new curriculum we were we were kind of launching at the time or a new interpretation of the chinese cur- national curriculum for english um, how we could enhance that in our schools um, and we, we, we realized that, you know, this is an area that many, many teachers struggle with. How, what are those strategies um, to support children in the classroom when you've got a classroom with students with zero English all the way up to um, a native level English? How do you support that, that difference? So it was identified pretty early on that that was an area we wanted um, to develop as a group. And we got feedback from all of our schools um, in that area. So we, we embarked on a project um, called, which we call Becoming Bilingual. The idea is that all of our uh, students are, are becoming bilingual um, uh, through learning English. And in that process, we kept, what we decided to do, we wanted to work with um, an expert in the field. We approached a few different um, organizations. We ended up settling with a, an organization based out in the UK, actually called NASI, uh, the Northern Association for Sports Services quality and achievement and um, they're based up near manchester um and uh they they actually run the masters in bilingualism and education and and doctorate programs at the university of birmingham so they've got a lot of expertise in this area so we approached them um and and yeah started to develop uh, a program that could be run 
in all of our schools um, across the region. We had a few things that we we were pretty pretty keen on doing, and some of those things um, ended up changing in response to the course we were both both on and the learning that was there. I can imagine. I was just going to say I can imagine because so many it did change so many things about what what I was thinking at the time about CPD, and it 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 radically changed some of the thoughts I was having. Uh, was, I'd love to it know was what, huge what to me. was for you. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know. I've been involved in a lot of training before, and I think if you were to ask were to ask me a few years ago what's professional development, I'd have reeled off it. You know, it's you know, it's that one hour a week. Um, it's that one hour a week you get together with your team and you learn something. Someone does a pre- PowerPoint presentation, maybe you have a discussion, and that's it. That's professional development. Or it's going to a conference, or I don't know, it's it's doing something like that. Um, and I really had quite a limited limited scope of what that was um being part of nord anglia we were quite we're quite lucky we have an online platform with lots of courses that we can do independently as well um so i i kind of maybe assumed oh it's it's to do it it's to do with that um but learning that it's much more broader process really really helped and really helped um for us to be able to design this program in a more rigorous way that had a real focus on impact um, for teachers and in their classrooms and it's interesting because we've talked about this in the podcast last week uh, with Ross and with Aaron. And it, it, it's interesting how quickly we we stopped talking about features of CPD and the types of CPD that we really liked and how quickly we got on talking about leadership and we were talking about mm. culture. And these areas, I'm sure, will be what you'll be talking about or, to a certain extent because it's not just about the course is it it's not just about kind of delivering the sort of actual knowledge there's more to it than that absolutely i mean we've all we've all been to we've all been to workshops or we've all done courses that we've completed and got a certificate maybe but you know has it had an impact on our classroom um maybe not although you know i did get thinking um recently you know someone posed to me that you know professional development should also just be for the enjoyment of, of of the learning process for the teacher as well. And it can actually be a big motivator. So um, I know someone um, who I was, I was chatting to last year, we, t- we were talking about our conference is really worth it. How, you know, these, you know, in international education, there's, there's a lot of great conferences, but you know, how much impact does it have when the person returns to the school? You know, there's, there's a lot of arguing to say there's not very much impact. Um, but, you know, interesting to note when I was chatting the other day that someone said, yeah, but you know, if there's impact in kind of motivation for that teacher and feeling, feeling valued, feeling respected, feeling excited, then potentially there is impact that you couldn't measure. It's not, not tangible uh, to measure it, but it's still important nonetheless. Definitely. The, um, the conversation again, that we had on the podcast last week, we, we got into this level of talking about inspiration and interestingly, I don't think we, touched on it that much with the uh, teach development trust course but it, mm. it it is that aspect of motivation is super important because the teacher's enthusiasm in the classroom will then dr- sort of drive them to want to learn more and i think it has uh, you know what what's been called a virtuous circle individually mm-hmm. as well as in a in a school culture where you just start thinking oh, that was really exciting. And I actually want to read more about that. 
where can I find it? And and you start picking up books and you start thinking before you know it, you're probably running CPD across China. Or maybe, maybe that, that's maybe how you started. I don't know. You're, you couldn't be more right. It was, it was actually to do with people I met in, in conferences. It was to do with certain colleagues that I, you know, worked with developing that inspired me to, you know, want to learn more and then you want to do more. And then you, you, you know, you really get on that kind of that, on, on that roller coaster and you 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 roll with it through the excitement of what we do um so so important um absolutely yeah. and so i don't know if you to go off grid off sort of track a little bit here is was there a point where you know you can you sort of think back to a point where sort of someone said something to you or you were on a conference or you, you read a book was there a point which sort of you can look back to and say that's that was sort of really the beginning of that learning journey that led me to where I am because you've talked at the beginning about how you got to where you are in terms of sort of I did this and then did this but I feel there's a more sort of holistic journey which we take as learners as teachers do you do you, is there a point that you can kind of say this was this was it or is there several points great question um and I've sprung this one on you. I didn't give you yeah. a chance to think about this beforehand. So <laughs> no, you're you're absolutely right. And and something comes to mind straight away is actually you know I were um, was a member of an organisation in Asia. It's actually called um, Elsa. I think named Elsa before the film Frozen came out. So, uh, um, but it's for English language learners. Um, for, you know, in Asia. Um, and I remember, you know, meeting up in, in, in Singapore, it was with, with lots of other people who had the same, same interest as me. And I do remember this was, gosh, this was back in 2015 now, but being introduced to this concept at the time called translanguaging, it, this was, you know, all about utilizing the home language in, in the classroom. Um, and it's something that I'd, I'd heard, but I hadn't heard with such passion because the people within my school were knowledgeable about different, different things. And I hadn't really, really heard that. Um, and it mm. excited me. And, and, you know, as part of that, I went to some small workshop and saw lots of strategies modeled so excellently and hit, and then hit, to hear teachers describe the impact that it had, had in their classroom. I just couldn't wait to get back to, um, my, my school at the time in Guangzhou, China to to try some of these out but more importantly to tell people about this exciting thing um and to and to be able to to share what i'd i'd gotten there and that really um was a, a real spark that uh, got me thinking gosh that that was so valuable that opportunity to um, um to see something to learn something but also to continue a conversation um, within my school about about practice um and to, and to talk about practice in that way um mm -hmm you know, super powerful. Super powerful. And it's, uh, it, I, I actually know Elsa because I worked in Shanghai for a while at Wellington International there. And I remember that was a very well-respected organization. We had a, uh, a few teachers who went along to some of those conferences. Absolutely. And, and sadly, due to COVID restrictions, we've not been able to go do that face-to-face -face for some time now, but here, here's hoping next year. And things are opening up a little bit there, I've heard, although there's, there's rumours of things opening up um, potentially sort of soon. So hopefully it'll be, things will change at least by the new year. So just to get back to the sort of the CPD that you're doing there, the work you're doing with teachers 
across the, the 11 schools well well i guess if i describe the program in a bit a bit more detail of, of, of what it is so the becoming bilingual program we decided we wanted something that was gonna impact substantially in our schools we wanted we wanted to really change practice and we wanted to start a conversation so one of the the, the first areas we looked at is how does this program um, how is it iterative to, um, throughout the year, for example? So this program is, you know, 16 hours of learning, actually, that, that our, our teachers do as part of this program throughout um, each year. And it's purposely spread out throughout the year, actually delivered by our professional learning leaders in the school. We do a train the trainer style system. Um, and we've purposely spread that throughout the year. So it's not all packaged at the beginning of the year with a big workshop and then and, and, and that's it. We actually package it throughout the year. And in between every input, there are gap tasks to do, there are readings to do, and there are communities of practice that are generated from, um, from that topic. So, you know, this was one of the first areas we really thought is that, you know, this needs to be an iterative process, which is constantly building building on itself as they as they go through and it's it's bit by bit so it's not overwhelming and and teachers can break it down into nice neat packages but with that one goal throughout the year which is I'm going to by the end of this year I'm going to feel more confident to be able to teach bilingual students and to be able to differentiate in my classroom and you know that's something that you know I've done after we um, worked with the teacher development trust I've done a few reviews at schools of their CPD offer and, and have seen, you know, that we can have almost these scatty CPD timetables throughout the year, which cover the cover a bit of systems training, a bit of this, a bit of that, it, you know, all sorts. And there doesn't seem to be any cohesive link. So the what we wanted to do is make at least one cohesive link through the school that takes them through the CPD throughout the year. Um, mm. So, you know, firstly, making it iterative, um, which we know is one of those key features of good PD, which is really important to us. And it's one that we we often lose in schools that don't make that a specific focus, particularly with the sort of let's send teachers on courses approach, which I have to say many schools, I think, still see CPD as being that. And, yes. um, and, and, and which I, up until recently, did see how, how that was CPD as well. And you mentioned that at the beginning. So it, building that in seems like a really important factor to ensure it actually happens. Absolutely. And 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 that kind of leads on to the, the other point, which is of time, because if you don't have that theme, then your time is going to be quickly gobbled up throughout the year. And, 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 and in my job, you know, going around schools, you know, working on professional development, of which Becoming Bilingual is only one. We have a lot of new teacher programs. We have all sorts of different different um, PD programs. But, you know, one of the, the challenge of challenges is always time. <laughs> you know, this is, this is the common thing that I hear teachers, principals, you know, leaders say is we just don't have time to fit it in. You know, that's, that's a huge issue for them. And just to sort of, for any non-teaching listeners, 16 hours is an extraordinary amount of time to devote to CPD in a year on one course for, for a school. It is, it is, it's rare. <laughs> and, 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 and uh, I, I'm, I'm interested. Well, I think, I think it's sort of quite a, 
testament to your to your leadership and the management there that it's been allowed to have that much time because clearly that will have a big impact on whether it's effective or not absolutely and and you know i'm i'm kind of laughing as you say that because um 16 hours is ambitious and actually in our first year of delivering the program maybe we were a little over ambitious with with what schools could do um because you know filling it in you know in this way we had you know that was eight two-hour sessions throughout the throughout the year um which many schools then end up having to having to adapt um for for themselves and i think that that ended up we've just released phase two of the course this year and 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 we've changed it fundamentally the idea of putting flex into the system and this was something that really came out strong for me is you know running a pre-packaged pd program in any school you know it's um it's just it's just not going to work or it's very rare that that's going to work because every school has a very different context even in even across our schools you would think there would be similarities they're all china bilingual schools owned by one organization um run in a very similar way with a similar curriculum massive diversity though of students of teacher expertise um and of you know even the timetable that they they make up in the day so having this one size approach just didn't work for us i was getting feedback that teach schools were not completing the course they had started to have to prioritize other things so for this year we we added flex into the system which i think is so important if you're rolling out a, a pd program either within a school or across a group of schools so we've still got a 16 hour program but now we've got a lot of flex so we have a flipped program where they can do half online half face to face um, with discussion groups we've even got a shorter course where they can complete it in a shorter time and the full course we've and, and we've even got um, flex embedded in the sessions where people can almost pull things out of the sessions delete what they is not relevant to their context and, and edit and the feedback already from this year um, has been really phenomenal both in terms of how people are feeling about delivery but also in the participants feeling that they're getting a much more relevant professional development for the work that they do um, so um, flexibility for for addressing time i think is key and i think you can bring that right down to a school level as well even if you're um, delivering something in a school you've got different departments different subjects how is it flexing for those different subjects how are you how is your program um, actually um, adapted for the different people and for their different prior experience in the same way we'd expect for our students and their starting points being different yeah and this is really interesting for i think uh the uk context because we're on a process of academization here in our um, system where where comprehensive schools are becoming academies that's been going on for 20 years uh, yeah. through from the labor government in the early 2000s through which was continued by the conservative government in the last 10 years uh, it, it's actually there's a white paper that says that all schools should be academies um, all maintained school, schools should be academies by 20 um 2030 i think although currently that's not looking like a hard deadline so for schools in the uk that haven't become academies many that have that are multi-academy trust will be familiar to, about this but thinking about a 10 school academy that's uh that sense of flexibility autonomy 
is really important and how do you enable each individual school with its individual local setting to be true to itself so your your thoughts on this are really relevant i think to to uk although it may seem like a very different system no absolutely i i I, it's very similar in a way um and 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 there are huge challenges to academization because I, 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 I suspect you've, you, you know, rather than local authority schools where they were all in a similar area, maybe as, you know, with similar, potentially similar challenges, um, where you've got schools that are across cities, across, across, across the country, all with some kind of sh- shared idea. And of course that gives you economies of scale, which is great to be able to um, bring some PD to life, but is it relevant and is it appropriate? That's going to be the big challenge, you know, if you're, um, I mean, you know, one, one thing I've heard, for example, which, you know, didn't work is, um, an academy who's trying to roll out, uh, for primary schools, one approach to teaching phonics using one system, um, because they were able to get that deal or whatever with the, with the publisher of that, of that program. It sounds, it sounds really fantastic, except for when you visit a school where the majority of teachers are used to a different system. And are you really then going to force that school into, the, into this other system? Is that really the best approach for that particular school? Well, of course not. You've got a different, you've got um, a different makeup of, of teachers who are, who are probably going to be able to deliver more effectively in their teaching practice using something they know. So it's, it's not always as simple as, oh, we can get, we can get a good deal or we can do things big. Um, and that's great for everyone. Although I think uh, administrators need reminding of that because I think there can be an excitement at a regional level or an academy level that, oh, you know, a, a mat level, sorry, that, yes, we can do this. This is, this is going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that the, a lot of it comes back to, are we listening to the uh, staff? Uh, and I choose the word staff carefully rather than teachers. Uh, mm-hmm in the in the organizations in the schools and are we listening to the pupils which and 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 not just that but there are also other stakeholders if i can use that horrible sort of um commercial word uh to to describe people who are, are really relevant within the school setting that uh need to be involved in the conversation of what cpd looks like so Governors, I think, uh, are really crucial to get involved, to get on board, and uh, as I said, pupils, but also parents. Um, um, this can be really valuable. So, t- tell me how have how have you kind of got teacher, not just teacher and TA and support staff and admin staff sort of feedback, but perhaps also pupil feedback, governor feedback. Uh, you know, different sorts of leader level feedback and parent feedback. Have, have you engaged with this in designing this uh, system? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you, you know, we've broken it down into a few ways. So the, the, the first step really about generating buy-in to the program was, was really key, key for us. So, you know, we'd identified this need and we'd gotten that feedback from, from our school leaders, but but you know, was there an was there an appetite amongst the communities in our school? So the first step was very much a, a program of, of 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 gaining understanding with you know with with surveys to our staff um, on 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 what their needs were um, with this, with the idea you know being transparent with them, saying hey, we're developing something here, so tell us what you need, 
um, so that they felt part of it. Um, but also um, doing a lot of work with with our parents. You know, what is it that why is it you're sending your children to our schools? Um, you know, which our parents were, you know, predominantly saying, you know, they need to, you know, grasp their English, you know, as well as well as having an international mindset, but their English is so important and, and really bringing them on the journey of, well, you know, we're, we're wanting to develop our teachers. Now this is going to take some, some time and energy of our teachers, but do you support that? Which, which, you know, helps you later down in the line when you need the support of the, the parents, because you're, you're, you're using time for example, um, and PD. Um, so bringing in all the stakeholders, uh, super important. And of course, there, there's a financial um, consideration too. And and even even just by saying 16 hours of a teacher's time, that's a significant financial investment of, of, of teacher's time. So bringing in our, um, our directors, you know, across, um, across the group on board um, into, into what the costs of the program are, but what the what the outcomes would be have been incredibly important, and that ongoing dialogue, of course, has to continue um, for the program to keep keep going and having effect. And on that financial aspect, because of course, uh, independent, you're an independent set of schools. Mm. You your teachers are you have two distinct sets of teachers. If I'm right in thinking this, you have mm. teachers who have come who are from China and you have teachers who have come from abroad and the teachers who come from abroad they're on probably something like an average two-year contract so if you're doing 16 hours of training over the course of a year and then the following year that teacher leaves to go somewhere else that's a massive loss of investment of CPD and very different to the UK when teachers generally stay much longer in a school um, so the CPD really, you can say, is is being spent, you know, you can spend that time but and the money that you need to do that, but then you're seeing the result of that over several years of a teacher learning and developing. How do you square that in terms of sort of the amount of time that you're giving? Gosh, you, you, you're absolutely right. It's such a challenge in international education. Yeah, for our international teachers, the turnover is is high. By nature, by nature, it's high because, you know, because people move on, they're traveling, you know, that's that's kind of how how it works. Um, so a lot of the focus of our PD programs are about how do we develop a culture in the school, even while staff are moving, you know, and this is this is all what it's about. And, and which is why our programs, it's even more important that we don't just do one off workshops in our school. We don't just send people to conferences because that's lost knowledge all the time that doesn't get get embedded. But how do we get conversations going? You know, how do we um, make it, you know, almost inject something into it? This is this is how our school operates. So for, for a program like Becoming Bilingual, we've done things like as part of the packs for delivering the program, we've we've given schools poster templates that they can stick on the back of toilet doors, for example. We, you know, or or in in their staff room, we've given them um, ex templates of emails that the leaders can send to different members of the community, like the principals and things, um, and different methods of trying to get a conversation, as well as an online library where as teachers learn and develop their practice they can share on channels and forums that are permanently there for future cohorts to kind of tune into and to kind of pick up on the experience of those 
um, who came before them. Because what we can't do is every two years restart the culture of the school. It just it just won't work. Now, luckily, international schools have always dealt with this, so we've become quite um, good in their systems of, of of how they do that, and are very careful with leadership change and policies become really vital in in, in schools like this of making sure mm. things are embedded and um, and communicated um, and of course then your other stakeholders become so much more important be it your parents who are actually driving where the school's going and you bring your parents on board make it a part of their expectation it's likely to affect the culture of the school um, but most because, importantly the mm. students you're embedding it you're embedding this idea with the students of this is how we how we are as a school and 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 always involving the students and letting them know how teachers learn as well so that it becomes a part of their practice and they can help shape that culture mm. yeah so so you're creating you're not creating necessarily i mean individually brilliant teachers although you probably are as well you're you're creating a culture of great teaching which is a, 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 you, by necessity because you have to if you've got teachers who are going to leave and move on you have to have a culture rather than just individually good teachers absolutely and the aim is you know good in itself i who was always talking to um the other day a, a colleague who said you know we should be like the the goldman sachs of, of education that's what we should aim in to do because what golden goldman sachs do is that they're they're known you know, in their field as where you go to develop, where you go to grow. Um, and, and although they might not have a, as high retention rates as others in the industry, they've got that, that knowledge of this is where it is to grow. And of course, then that results in fantastic outcomes in their, in their industry. So it's not that um, long teacher retention equals great teaching. It can also be a place that values development and values growth can also, you know, be an inspirational place to learn. Mm. So then it, it, you, you're putting all of this um, programs in these programs and you're thinking very deeply about how to do it. You're consulting with different people and different organizations. What, what, what does it look like when, when that works? How do you know when the CPD has been effective um, in, in, in a setting? Well, this is something we, we I guess we, we unpicked on that course, right? And it was it was a big challenge for me, you know, because um well firstly, anything you do in education and that it's the same for C P D, it's really difficult, you know, you can't really measure a causation between I delivered this C P D and student outcomes, right? You know, very difficult to, to measure that. We're always talking about correlations rather than causations, and that's something that's really important mm. to look at. But in terms of success in CPD, um, you know, it's a challenge. You know, what are you, what are you, what are you looking at um, in terms of success? Like we said before, are you going to look at a teacher who becomes inspired and then kind of um, translates that in, into their practice in some way, or are you are you talking about um, actually developing student academic outcomes in in some way? I think. There's only, you know, to, to really know the effectiveness of CPD, you can't measure on one on one area. You have to have an in-depth knowledge of that. The whole of the school systems and all of the processes that take place and be able to look um, um, to look at that. So, you know, for example, you deliver a workshop, but a, 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 even if as fantastic as it might be, it's just a workshop. 
It doesn't mean that the techniques are implemented. You've got to look at that. Are they actually practice? Does, is there a, a method of feedback to know whether those, the way that's been, those techniques have been implemented are effective? Has that teacher focused on student outcomes or have they just focused on um, repeating that technique? You know, in which case are they open to lethal mutations, for example? You know, there's so many areas you need to, need to look at. Um, and I think, you know, a key to, um, to helping with this is really getting your teachers on board at knowing what does good CPD look like? What, what, am I, what am I learning and how am I evaluating the success of my professional learning? which is where it, you know, it all links to the professional learning targets and that they're setting every year. Mm. And can you just, sorry, can you just for the listeners, just clarify mm. what lethal mutations are? We might Absolutely. be able to guess, but. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so a, a lethal mutation happens all the time in, in, um, in education. It's where, you know, you, you learn something and you think you've got the idea of it. You think you've, you know why, but you end up doing it and you've, you, you've actually lose the reason behind um, um, what you're doing. Um, so an example in, in our context is that, um, the, you know, there was a lot of research into language acquisition. Um, that was to say that the, the best way to learn a language is to immerse in a language, the idea of immersion. So immerse yourself in English is the best way to, to, to learn, um, backed up by a lot of solid research. But a teacher just going off that, you know, a, a lethal mutation that happened across many schools is that teachers would start for multilingual, they have multilingual learners in their class, um, EAL learners, for example, they would start banning home languages in the class. Um, and then banning the home language, you know, with a good purpose, a good intention, they're thinking, I'm going to therefore immerse them in this second language. Mm. But that was an absolute lethal mutation of the initial research, which was not to say, banning languages and, and not to submerse them in language, but to immerse them. Uh, but this can happen with so many things. You deliver a training, you can learn a technique. We hear it all the time, right? Group work or different things, you know, people take it to a, to a level and, 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 and can adapt it and don't understand the reason behind what they're doing, which is why I think education is so excited at the minute, this whole research informed practice, I think so important. Um, for where we go as teachers, because it really helps to stop those lethal mutations um, and, and, and to be able to make sure we're, you know, we're informed in our practice and having those conversations. And, and one of the, and because we probably, you know, I've probably been aware of uh, John Hattie and Daniel Willingham for quite a while. Mm. Uh, but I think what I liked about the course was how it introduced me to a level of research about leadership, which I, I wasn't aware of. I mentioned last week Vivian Robinson was particularly inspiring for me because she delves down into the granular detail of what it means as a leader to examine yourself and to start reflecting on how you have conversations with people uh, when things aren't going right and that sort and also to sort of start having to to really examine whether you're making some mistakes and that may be a ways of catching those lethal mutations at, at leadership level before they go down and permeate for an entire system, which I imagine if you've got 11 schools, it could happen. Um, like you've mentioned that something ineffective or not quite what it should be is happening uh, just because one leader at the top level decides to introduce something and it 
doesn't happen in the right way. It happens all the time, all <laughs> the time, you know, with so many different areas, not just in teaching techniques, but in leadership styles in all sorts of different stuff that, you know, it's, it's, it's full of that, that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, it's always a result as a result of, of following you know, of, of, of following an idea without without challenging it, which, you know, funnily enough, I think teachers are quite um, naturally perceptive to, you know, when you encounter initial resistance to an idea by teachers, usually the, the best response is to listen deeply to that challenge that they have, because uh, a lot of the time there's, there's something in it, and there's something that you need to explore um, to, to potentially unpick a lethal mutation before it happens. Teachers are, are, I believe, so focused on what's the best thing for the children they teach that if they spot something that's going to waste their time, they have ways of bypassing that uh, and doing the thing that's going to be more effective. And so if you look at what people <laughs> who are doing, who aren't doing what you've told them to do, you usually find that nine times out of 10, they're doing something better because they've worked out how to do the thing you're trying to get them to do more efficiently and that saves them time or if, if there are other reasons i'm not saying this is the only reason people aren't doing the right thing but but it's it's like you say it's listening to what objections are um really sort of can show you that where the where the the right way to go is the bright spots as, as sometimes it's put um and, and it makes me think from what you've said as well shane that there's a real link between the macro level of teacher development, particularly with with sort of you've got 11 schools and who knows how many sort of teachers and TAs and different people involved. And then the micro level of the teacher in the classroom. And there's there's actually not there's a real link between what you're doing there uh, purpose in terms of the lesson you're teaching right now and the purpose in terms of designing a massive course for many many schools it's the same question right absolutely and you have to be you know it really forces you to be humble as a leader because you, you 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 have to be able to you have to be able to reflect with your teachers um and you know on your point that teachers you know who often make those changes um it, it happened with Abercoming bilingual program we 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 had teachers, you know, doing different things, or we had our professional learning leaders doing very different things because it just didn't work for them in the first year. Um, and what we could have done is just reflected and gone two things. One, oh, well, the reason it failed is because you didn't do it as I said, so you need to do it as I say. Yeah. Um, or, or two, oh, we failed. We should just stop the program. Um, whereas the, 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 the sweet spot, which we hope we've got, is to, you know, to deeply listen um, to those comments and to not just listen to what they found challenging, but listen to the adaptations that they made um, and learn from that. And, and that's what we, you know, we're trying to do and will continue to try to do. And that's coming back to creating a culture of, of excellent teaching rather than just excellent teachers, isn't it? Because that will, it, the fact that people have been listened to will play into then how they feel com how comfortable they feel coming to their managers to their leaders and with suggestions with ideas how open they are to developing them you know things themselves and trying things out if they feel that there's a real sense of being a porous relationship between the the, the leadership and the the people who are doing 
through the teaching. So while we're talking about that, perhaps it'd be really useful for uh, listeners who are thinking about CPD to, to find out what might go wrong. And this is, again, a question that the Teach Development Trust encouraged me to ask myself and ask the, the, the teachers of the course I'm, if a course I'm developing, you know, what might go wrong? What are the, what are the things that could go catastrophically wrong when you're with this program specifically or when you're running mm -hmm. CPD? What do you, out of your experience, what are the sort of general things that, that could go wrong? So to come back to where, you know, almost where we started, the biggest area is always time, you know, actually have the, have the, um, you know, the teachers, the staff, they, have they got the time to engage in this program, not just to attend the workshops, but have they got time even in their classroom to experiment with things or do they feel a pressure to cover content at such a pace that they don't feel they've got the time um, to deliver? Have they got the time to chat with colleagues and reflect? Because collaboration is such a key key part um, of the PD, and is that time you know spent in that way rewarded in some way? Do people do, do the leadership encourage use a good use of time in school as a as, as a as a time sitting over a coffee chatting about something that you've done in your lesson? Is that is that protected? So time is always that 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 biggest barrier. Um, um, and it's not just in the traditional way of do you protect an hour a week for workshops? That's I think that's sometimes something we we get distracted by, um, but time is certainly um, a key. And then I would say another one is is not following your professional development up. I think this this is the, one of the most common things that happens in schools. A, a fantastic CPD is delivered by maybe a really energetic teacher who delivers a wonderful interactive workshop full of all the good mechanisms like modeling that practice and and getting engaged in conversation and and and, and backing it up with with you know with expert research but then that's it you know they all leave maybe a couple of a couple of people feel inspired and and often you know you get that one or two teachers who who go ahead and start playing with those ideas in their teaching but most kind of go home come back the next day and get back to business. Um, so what are you doing to prompt it? Is it is when you're doing PD, if you're saying this is important enough for us to spend an hour on a Monday afternoon talking about together, then surely it's important enough for us to reflect in our next um, leadership meetings or it's important enough for um, when we're doing um, peer observations for that to be something that people might want to look into. Um, mm. Or it's important enough for um, when we're writing policies for it to start influencing the way we shape um, practices at our school. So if it's followed up, you're more, more likely to get um, a more success. And I guess that links to an, another area, which is, is it embedded in those school systems? You know, is it a part of your lesson observation pro, uh, pr process? Do you have professional learning communities in your school set up? Um, and when PD is delivered, you know, is that something that's followed up there? When policies are created, is that linked to that new learning that's happening? Often these things are seen as separate. You know, when I say, what do you do for PD? You know, school leaders are quick to tell me, oh, we've, we've, we've done these workshops this year. Um, or, you know, or separately, we've got peer observations happening around this. Oh, and then we actually did a a, a, another school visit that focused on this all that don't really link to each other um 
So um, really important. And and I think, you know, one one of the, the biggest pitfalls as well is to, to remember that, you know, teacher autonomy is is key here they teachers have to feel autonomous in what in what they're doing they have to feel in control um of the teaching in their in their lessons um and often pd can be you know steamrolled into a school and it, and can be a real crush mm. on teachers it's maybe brought in as a positive a positive thing we're going to bring in this fantastic thing and help our teachers learn but if it's received in a way of a one-size-fits-all and teachers don't feel part of that process are engaged or bought in or autonomous in their own delivery. Um, it's just not, it's just never going to work. Yeah. So there's that back to that question of autonomy, which we know also has an impact on teacher retention, for, which again plays into that sort of those questions of culture. Shane, our time's almost up and I, I, I don't want to end it on a, on a down note like like sort of what could go wrong so i just want to ask you at the end just a couple of final questions one what's the future of cpd uh and that's sort of a general question and also just what you have if you have any recommendations for reading or listening at the moment yeah absolutely um so i mean in terms of the future of of, of PD, I think we have to be looking at, at, at how ed tech's transforming. You know, you know what what we're doing in the classroom, but for teacher learning. Now, as a as a group, as a as a as a member of a group of schools, we're really lucky. We have a, an online platform, um, which has lots of courses on there, but it's not enough on its own. We've seen that in in, in when we look at our teacher engagement, you can't just replace face to face learning with on online learning. So I think there's going to be a key, a key blend of online offline is going to be really key to the development of PD, especially because of that time pressure. I don't know if we're on the way to resolving time in our schools to giving teachers more time. It's we know teachers are um, are overworked compared to you know many sectors, and and time is an issue. It's probably not going to resolve anytime soon. So how do you make sure that that limited time you have in school together is used for you know deep purposeful collaboration and then how do you blend that with an online system that schools can maybe do at their own pace and a different to really take that knowledge yeah and in terms of in terms of reading um for listeners or or, or you know or, or further i think um for me something that i found it was released actually earlier this year so after we did the course but the education endowment foundation released their report on effective professional development and it is amazing like it's literally it's condensed all of that learning into something very very clear and tangible for me um and the idea that they've broken down um into as it 14 13 or 14 mechanisms of effective professional development the more of these mechanisms and they almost present it like little cogs um, the more of these mechanisms in place the more likely your PD is to be successful. And when I've worked with many of our professional development leaders or, or you know, or with teachers who are engaging in, in professional development, I've said, look, quickly go through and mark off as a quick task. What are the different mechanisms that you've got in place? Um, and, you know, give yourself a percentage and do, and do you think there are others that you can add in? And it's amazing how simple that can be, just adding in those mechanisms. So I would recommend just go to the EFs, um, 
PD report is so accessible um, and they even have posters and bits and bobs that you can stick around your school uh, to get a conversation going. Brilliant. I'm going to look straight into that afterwards. Uh, and just I think you're right in terms of what you were saying earlier about the uh, sort of flipping the classroom, because we talked about we talk about flipping the classroom for students, but flipping the classroom for teachers is uh, also there's so much out there, I think even more so since the start of the pandemic because so much has moved online. That can be a negative thing as well as a positive thing. We know that we've got a bit of fatigue from all the digital stuff, but um, I think it has on the whole, I don't know if you'd agree, Shane, but has added to the richness of what what there is out there. It really does. And it just allows for that flex in, 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 in our development, which I just love, you know. I'm, I'm able to, you know, if I'm having a, 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 a time during the day, we all have it, you know, we're, we're, we've, we've been teaching, for example, and, you know, you just, you want to get planning halfway through the day, but you're tired. Sometimes just then giving yourself an excuse to read a chapter of that, that book or listen to a bit of the, a bit of that podcast um, or just engage with uh, a part of a course online can be useful. And actually that's, um, that's you know not in a structured way it's not been allocated as part of time but that can be really useful to fit that in so using that online learning and then the school's responsibility is to have some kind of system in place that brings a community together to discuss what are those podcasts you're listening to what are those ideas it's why a staff room is for me an essential part of uh, of a school because it's where most of those conversations can happen that teachers love to have you know they really do I think you're right. And um, well, I'm going to say that it's probably time to end now because my dog's woken up here and uh, she wants to play <laughs> with me. But um, Shane, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you and, and listening to all you've got to say. Uh, we hopefully can meet up in person one day when you're back in the UK and we can talk some more about all the great things you're doing. And uh, But for, the, for now, I'm going to say that you've been listening to The Rest is Education. I'm David Marshall here with Shane Leaning.